0: The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your on target host, Linda Swain.
1: And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, miserable, miserable all day. Oh, my goodness gracious. You're going to have to make sure the uh, fire is in the <laughs> fireplace tonight, <laughs> if you have one. Well, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month, and today is World Diabetes Day. World Diabetes Day was created back in 1991 by the World Health Organization and the International Diabetes Federation to mark the birth date of Canadian medical scientist Sir Frederick Banting, who, along with Charles Best, discovered insulin 100 years ago forever changing the lives of diabetic diabetics right around the world banting of course died following a plane crash in 1941 In uh, Musgrave Harbour, and of course they've made a beautiful park uh, surrounding that uh, crash site after takeoff at uh, Gander International. Well, according to the latest statistics, one in three Canadians are affected by diabetes and one in two young Canadians will develop diabetes in their lifetime. In this province, approximately 35% of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians live with diabetes or pre-diabetes. The theme of World Diabetes Day is education to protect tomorrow and governments worldwide are being called upon to increase access to diabetes education to help improve the lives of the more than half a billion people worldwide currently living with diabetes. Well my guests today are Renee Fagan, a registered nurse who has lived with diabetes for more than 38 years. Hello Renee hi linda and terry and colby ryan colby is a grade 11 student living with type 1 diabetes and terry is his mom hello
2: hey
1: hi um so renee let's start with you what what exactly is diabetes
0: wow that's you know, it's, i'm glad you asked that question it's quite complex and I've actually celebrated my 39th anniversary now this past September. So 39 years living with diabetes. I honestly, I don't remember a life without diabetes. But when you ask a question like that, it's a very, it's still complex and it's hard to answer for me. Um, you know, when you look at, or if you, I don't know if you've ever Googled diabetes, the first thing you're going to see are probably stats. You're going to see complications. You're going to see information talking about you know, the pancreas is not producing insulin or not enough insulin. Um, but what it doesn't show um, for people like myself who live with it every day is those day-to-day moment um, that, we, that we struggle with every single day, 24 hours a day. Um, if I had to, I guess, pick a word to describe it, it would be exhausting. <laughs> um, we often make, I think, diabetes look normal. And I've had that comment said to me, right? You do so well, and you take your insulin, and you eat the right food, and you do great. Um, but I often like to compare living with diabetes to that of an iceberg, which we know well here in Newfoundland, Labrador, that you only see 10% of that iceberg above the surface and 90% below. So what people see about living with diabetes is maybe 10%. You know, we make it look easy sometimes, um, but in, by no means is living with diabetes easy. Um, a lot of things that we do day to day you know, the, the public general the public, don't get to see, um, you know, diabetes is, is always there. It's always constant. It doesn't matter, you know, what type of day you had or what's going on in your life. It wants that attention from you all the time. Um, so, I mean, there's there's always a an ever-present, I guess, fear and worry about what could happen, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, so to speak. Um, and there's still a lot of misinformation and stigma in the public about diabetes, um, you know, that often leads to a lot of blame and shame and internalizing guilt <coughs> about living with diabetes as well. well.
1: I, and I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's, it's largely invisible. And even on days when you're feeling great, it's still there.
0: 100%. So I can show up to a meeting and I have a smile from ear to ear. And, you know, 15 minutes before that, I may have had a low blood sugar and I'm struggling with getting that up. Um, you know, I'm struggling to get myself up to speed to be able to do that presentation. But you don't see that side, right? You see, you see the, the you know, someone testing their sugar, taking <laughs> insulin, and you think, oh, well, it's easy. They have insulin it's a cure, but insulin is not a cure. It's a way to manage until we get a cure. But a lot of it is largely invisible. What kind of an impact does it have on the body? Um, well, if you talk about, I mean, obviously, complications is huge. We know all the complications. But day to day, when you have a high blood sugar or a low blood sugar, it's completely exhausting. Um, you know, it means that some things you may not be able to do. And I often bring it back to, and I'll give an example, a couple of years ago, and it, kind of, it may sound ridiculous now, but a couple of years ago, I had my kids, I have two young boys, uh, We a part of our uh, Christmas tradition is doing um, ornament painting every Christmas. So I had them signed up to do ornament painting, and right when I was supposed to leave, to go there, my blood sugar went low. So of course I went out and treated it, it's quick, it's quick to treat. However, the time it takes to get back to a normal blood sugar, and then of course to be safe to drive again, it be like 40 minutes. 45 minutes even, or longer. So I ended up, I I couldn't drive. I was sitting there. I was (laughs) totally heartbroken. I called my husband, who was still at work. I called him crying, totally heartbroken, that I couldn't take my kids to this ornament painting. And I felt like the worst mom in the world for not being able to do this, even though it was totally out of my control. And again, nobody sees that side of it. Right, so it's the day to day, the highs, the lows, the, the fluctuations in your blood sugar, and how that makes you feel, um, how that affects your day to day life, whether it's work or kids or you know, going to school, all these different things are affected by diabetes.
1: And I want to talk to Terry and Colby about living with diabetes when we come back after the break. Our guests today are Renee Fagan. You just heard from her. She's a registered nurse who lived with diabetes for more than 39 years. And Terry and Colby Ryan. Colby is a grade 11 student living with type 1 diabetes. And Terry is his mom. We'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather and more during your VOCM morning show. This
0: is on target on your VOCM.
1: This is World Diabetes Day, and uh, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month, and we're talking about di- diabetes with. Uh, Renee Fagan, a registered nurse who has lived with diabetes uh, most of her life, and Terry and Colby Ryan, a mom and son. Colby is a grade 11 student living with type 1 diabetes. Terry is his mom. And uh, Colby, I'm going to bring you into the conversation now. When were you diagnosed?
3: I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 6 years old with a blood sugar of 48, and the average is around 5 to 6. It was uh, very confusing and scary at the time.
1: Yeah, because I would imagine at six years old you're not really aware of what's going on or how your life has just changed.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: So what was it like growing up with diabetes?
3: Uh, It was a lot of, you know, finger pokes, um, having to wake up in the middle of the night checking my blood sugar. If it's high, fix it. If it's low, fix it. Uh, Lots of needles, sight changes, all that.
1: And has it affected you in terms of uh, school or extracurricular activities? Um, any other interests you might have, sports, for instance?
3: Yeah, I mean, if my blood sugar is low, I'll have to, if I'm playing sports, I'll have to sit out for 20 minutes and I won't be able to play. Or if I'm in school and my blood sugar is low, I'm not supposed to take a test. Um, if it's high, like very high, and it, I can't get it to come down, I might have to leave school and come home and try to fix it.
1: You say you're not supposed to take a test, so it affects you cognitively as well? Yes. Is that right? So how does that affect you in that way? Does it make you less able to concentrate, or how does that work?
3: It's just, it, yeah, it's, it's a mix of not being able to concentrate, and uh, it, it slightly makes you, it, it makes it harder to think, basically.
1: Yeah, I can I can totally see that. So Terry, as a mom, uh, were you aware that something was wrong when Colby was small?
2: Um, yes and no. Uh, it was the last weekend or the first weekend of summer vacation that he was diagnosed. Um, unfortunately, we have other family members in our family with type 1, so I was kind of aware of the symptoms. Um, that weekend, it was a Friday, like I said, the last day of school. We went to our cottage, and we had noticed that he was using the washroom, peeing quite a bit, and drinking a lot. And we were kind of thinking in ourselves, oh, it's just a summer vacation. It's hot. He's busy. But as the weekend went on, we noticed it was becoming more and more, you know, more and more noticeable. And we started going back over things in our mind and looking back over the past even year and going, oh, my God, there's these little signs that we had missed, of course, not thinking your son is type 1. And we started adding them up, and we were like, okay, this, 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 this cer- certainly seems what it might be, and we um, took him to visit his aunt. Well, and uh, who is a type one as well, and had her check him at his at her house before we um, went anywhere with him. And she checked his sugar and looked at us with this fear in her eyes, and said, "You need to go to the Janeway right away." So we took him to the Janeway, like Colby had said. He was admitted with a blood sugar of 48. Um, which he says the normal is between 5 and 6. Uh, when we look back now, we see the symptoms. We've seen the uh, on and off, um, tired, the darkness under his eyes, the times when we went places where he would get physically sick. We would think of things like heat stroke or things he had eaten. But now we are wondering, as we go back and thinking, it might have been his fluctuations in his blood sugars. So luckily for Our family, we were a little bit aware of the signs and signals, and we did catch it. Even though his blood sugar was high, we did catch it at a time where he did not go into DKA, which sadly a lot of children do end up in before they get diagnosed.
1: What's DKA?
2: So That is diabetic ketosis. That is when your blood sugar gets so high that your body basically starts shutting down and causing you to become extremely, extremely ill, and most people end up in ICU at that point.
1: Wow. So only for the fact that you were aware and noticed these signs, because when you think about a six-year-old in the summer months, uh, you probably say, wow, he must be doing a lot of sweating or running around. He's doing an awful lot of drinking and peeing. And you wouldn't uh, associate the two with diabetes necessarily, especially in summer.
2: Absolutely not. Nope. Absolutely. You're correct. And that's what happens sadly to too many people that don't know the signs and symptoms and end up in a really, you know, a really bad situation at that time.
1: So your uh, your sister, or his aunt, um, uh, was the one who said take him to a hospital. What was it like knowing that this could be the diagnosis?
2: At that point, both my husband and myself had looked at each other and we, we knew in our hearts that this was what it was. It was gut-wrenching because we knew that once we entered those doors, we were never coming out. The same family has went in. Sorry, um, it's scary for a parent to know that their child has now changed in so many ways. They gotta grow up so fast. That's the problem. They 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 become from a, an innocent six year old to a child who now has to be totally responsible for his own life, and that is scary as a parent.
1: It is, and I I know somebody whose child was diagnosed at a very early age with diabetes, and I can remember her taking him to the Janeway and not having anyone around and uh, I said I gotta dart down now see how she's doing not knowing what the diagnosis was and uh, I remember walking across the parking lot and seeing this woman sitting outside the the emergency room doors and I said oh my goodness that poor woman she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders and when I came up it was her. And I knew right away that something was up. That's when she told me that he's been diagnosed with type one diabetes. And you could see it on her body, the weight of that diagnosis. Um, Now, you know, he's thriving, he's doing well, thank goodness he's a grown man now. But um, I know what they've been through and I can just imagine what you've been through.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been, it it affects everybody. I mean, it doesn't just affect Uh, our family affects people around our family. I mean, we, we, we have to constantly be aware and be constantly making people aware of diabetes and what it entails. And a lot of people don't understand it, you know, but we're, you know, we're slowly getting through to people and it's, and like things like this are making a huge difference to making it aware. And uh, hopefully one day we won't have to worry about it at all, <laughs> we hope.
1: No, that's right. Hopefully there's a, there's a cure for all of this. So Colby, six years old, that's awful young to be taking care of yourself in that way and be thinking in those terms. I guess mom, was a, mom and dad were the ones that you had to lean on a lot.
3: Uh, yeah, it took me a while to kind of figure out how to be more independent with it. But eventually I was doing my own needles and finger pokes and stuff. But they were definitely a big help.
1: As a teenager, do you get tired of it? I mean, are there days when you say, I don't feel like doing this today? Constantly. <laughs> I can well imagine, but you know the difference.
3: Yes, of course.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and do your friends get it? Uh,
3: some of them do, yeah. Some of them help a lot with it, actually. If I'm low, you know, they'll sit with me and wait. If I'm high, they'll keep asking if I'm okay. You know, it's, it's good to have people who understand it.
1: And I guess you've educated them as well. Yeah. So they probably more, know more than di- about diabetes than other people.
3: I would say, yeah.
1: <laughs> so have you had to spend, you know, when you spend time with your friends or new friends or whatever the case may be, have you had to say, okay, look, here's the situation. If you notice I'm like this, you know, let somebody know or whatever the case may be. Do you Do you tell them, you know, what the warning signs are and what to watch for, that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, I'll tell them if they notice I look tired or if I'm, like, uh, shaky or dizzy to go let someone know, you know.
1: Do you find that uh, friends and family are better at reading the signs than yourself, or do you know intrinsically yourself that something's amiss? Uh,
3: It depends. I'm usually able to tell if I'm low, but sometimes I'm not able to tell if my blood sugar goes high, but they recognize the signs better than I do for that.
2: Yeah, we 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 notice Colby's highs way more than he does. His he changes in the way of that. His behavior changes. He becomes a little bit more angrier and a little bit more agitated. And and, and it's funny because we could be somewhere and we notice that he's you know we could tell like his blood sugar's high and we'll be saying to each other, he's high, he's high. And people look at us like we're crazy, but in our mind that's what we're saying. Oh my gosh, his blood sugars are high. So we see it and we acknowledge it. And that's, that's a huge help. And like I said, Colby has great friends and family who who have been with us from the beginning and have followed with us and stuck with us. So they, they like I said, have learned the signs just as well as we have.
1: And I want to ask you a bit about how um, Colby's diabetes is managed when we come back after the break. Our guests today on On Target are Renee Fagan, registered nurse who's lived with diabetes for more than 38 years, and Terry and Colby Ryan. Terry's uh, Colby's mom, and Colby is a grade 11 student living with type 1 diabetes. We'll be back right after this.
0: On Target, we'll be back in a moment on
1: your VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM.
0: We get people talking. This is On Target on your VOCM.
1: This is World Diabetes Day. And uh, as you well know, Thousands of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians living with diabetes each and every day and we're speaking with uh, Renee Fagan a registered nurse and uh, Terry and Colby Ryan. Colby is a grade 11 student who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was just six years old and um, Terry I'll ask you how is uh, uh, Colby's diabetes uh, currently managed?
2: Uh, Currently, Colby is using an insulin pump and a wonderful device, which is called a CGM, which is called a constant glucose monitor. It's a small device that's worn on his body. It's a Bluetooth device that is inserted under the skin. This device then measures his blood glucose every five minutes and speaks to his pump and to our cell phones and uh, regulates his blood sugars through um, his pump and, and that way gives him insulin if he's needed or cuts off his insulin if he is not needing insulin at the time. So in other words, he now he has very little to zero finger pricks a day. This Dexcom has changed every three days, uh, 10 days, sorry, and he wears insulin pump, which the site is every three days to be changed. So things have changed huge from when he was first diagnosed from four-plus needles a day to 10-plus finger pokes a day to now this technology which pretty much is an outside-your-body pancreas working technology.
1: It's extraordinary how far the technology has come. Um, So how is that covered?
2: Well, sadly, it isn't covered by our government here yet in Newfoundland, and that is a huge uh, thing that we should hopefully get covered here. I mean, a lot of the provinces in Canada now are are doing something, some sort of coverage for this. It is, we have insurance that covers it. A lot of people do not. A lot of people have to pay out of pocket for it. And it is, uh, it's a little bit more of a costly adventure in, in the time of when you have to pay for it. But in the long run, it is way more beneficial and can provide children or anybody living with type 1 diabetes way more benefits. And it is it's life-changing, and it gives them their life back, in my mind, in a lot of ways. It gives them more freedom. It gives the parents um, a little bit more of a, um, I guess, a little bit more relaxation because they can see, no matter where we are, to, we can see his blood sugars at all times. We see if he's going high. We see if he's going low. Before, he even goes high or low sometimes. So this is huge in in the diabetes world because, I mean, it, it prevents so many complications
1: so that's covered under your private insurance is that correct
2: it is covered under our private insurances a lot of insurances do not cover it as well
1: and he's getting older yes so uh, that's got to be a worry
2: yes yes it is it is a worry it is a worry that that's something that you don't want to have to think about that not only do you want to think about your child having to go to college and get a job and get a career now you have to add the the added worry of making sure they have a career or a job that covers things like insulin pumps or Dexcoms and G- CGMs, or it's an extra at a pocket that costs that you don't want to have to think about your child having to think about that right now.
1: Indeed. I mean, that's um, a lot to think about as a mom. Um, and Renee, how is, how is your diabetes managed?
0: Um, Presently I use a a tube with insulin pump and I also use a CGM just like Colby so the Dexcom. Um, Of course over over 39 years I've seen a lot of advancements in technology from urine dipsticks is how I measured my blood sugar back in the early 80s to you know finger pokes um, and again multiple daily injections so four and five injections a day Uh, so right now my Dexcom my Omnipod is what works for me and allows me to get the best blood sugar control, but also, you know, my quality of life has improved so much with, with this technology. And, I mean, similar to uh, what Terry just said when it comes to um, coverage, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm an adult, I work, I have good coverage with my job right now, and I don't have to worry about those uh, financial costs of having that technology. But there have been times where I haven't had insurance, and those out-of-pocket costs, um, to get the technology has been, you know, really, really uh, great. Um, and I, and I, I too worry about okay, what about when I retire? What's my plan for retirement? Because I don't want to go back to old technology. I want to keep using the technology that's going to give me the best outcomes and reduce my complications. So that worry I never ends. You know, it's constant. Um, but what I will say about the, the technology and and that's what I use now. At least this allows me to be very proactive with my approach. Because all this information, like from blood sugars, I mean, we use this to make life and death decisions every single day. So at least with this technology, we can be very proactive and get those alerts and make those decisions. Instead of being very reactive, you know, and instead of of waiting until our sugars get up to 20, um, we know they're going up and we can make decisions when they're 6 and 7 or 8. So it does definitely offer a much better quality of life.
1: So, Renee, how important is it to to have this technology covered off uh, by the province?
0: Uh, Extremely important. I mean, I think at the beginning of the show, there's some statistics, right, about Newfoundland and Labrador, and we know we have one of the highest rates of diabetes in Canada. Thirty-five percent live with diabetes or pre-diabetes. And those numbers are continuing to go up. When we look at, you know, healthcare costs, and and I've worked at hospitals, um, you know, we have a huge percentage of healthcare costs that go into diabetes, but it's all um, reactive, I should say. So it's all reactive spending. So this technology allow, if you're allowing people to be proactive with their approach to managing diabetes, then it's going to prevent a lot of these complications. It's going to turn into uh, better outcomes for those living with diabetes. Um, so I mean, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that these things be covered. Um, so we get the best outcomes. We can do, reduce our financial costs and plus the strain on our healthcare system, but also give people a much better quality of life. Um, you know, we have enough things kind of on our plate, work and kids and, and school and different things. And, I mean, diabetes is just another added um, thing every day. So it, it does, you know, provide that quality of life.
1: And Colby, uh, what, uh, I mean, how has the insulin pump changed your life?
3: The insulin pump is, uh, it helps a lot, especially mixed together with the Dexcom just because that talks to it. So, you know, if I sometimes forget to give myself insulin for a meal and I start going high, you know, my my, uh, pump will fix that itself now. Or if I go low, it shuts off my insulin. But before, without the Dexcom, it would uh, just keep going and I'd have to handle it myself. So it just makes it a lot more...
1: Um, a little yeah. easier to manage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but does it worry you that it sort of does the work for you and you're not thinking about it as much? I mean, there's a good thing about that, and maybe, <laughs> maybe it, it's a, a bad thing as well to try to rely on it so heavily.
3: Yeah, well, even even if it's handling it itself, sometimes I still have to worry about it and make sure it's doing its job. You know, uh, I
1: that part of it never really goes away and uh renee um uh, when i mean 38 39 years with diabetes is, uh, is your diabetes type one or type two type one um so you were quite young
0: i was actually very similar my story is very similar to colby's where i was six and i was peeing in the bed and it's You know, I remember countless nights of my mom uh, trying to get me to pee before I go to bed, and I'd still end up being in the bed. So that was, and just drinking more. And so I was officially just turned seven when I got my official diagnosis.
1: So, what uh, is there a difference between type 1 and type 2 in terms of um, uh, how it presents?
0: Um, There are different symptoms, yes. So, I mean, type 1, your pancreas, um, you know produces less insulin so eventually it produces no insulin. So, I mean, the only, there's typically, you know, thirst. Um, Some people actually, they lose weight, uh, increased uh, urination. So you have all those different, that's probably the most common. There's lots of different symptoms, but that's the most common ones that uh, patients present with. Um, Type 2 tend to, I guess, it's more of a slower process. So, some of the symptoms are there, but it takes longer to come out. It's, it's more because your body is still producing insulin. It's just not being used as effectively. So typically at some point, you may need, you know, medications or uh, eventually insulin um, to treat type 2. But it's a generally a longer time to diagnose type 2 because it is that slower process.
1: So type 1, I presume then, would be congenital?
0: Um, there is a genetic, I mean, there's lots of different, I guess, theories about how it develops, but there is a genetic component for sure. Um, but I mean, there's lots of theories about how type 1 um, develops, you know, could be from a virus. So this was huge, of course, with COVID and everything, uh, just being out, you know, there is an increased risk of developing type 1 diabetes if you have a virus. But it's not just COVID, it's also the flu virus or any type of virus um, can increase your risk for developing type 1.
1: And what about type 2? How does that develop? Is, is there a genetic factor there or is it primarily related to um, lifestyle?
0: Um, I, there's a bit of both. I think uh, for people with type 2 diabetes, there's a lot of blame in that diagnosis as well because people attribute a lot of lifestyle uh, to getting type 2 diabetes and how they could have prevented it, which is not necessarily true. Um, you know, I know a lot of people with type 2 diabetes who are in a healthy weight range who have type 2 diabetes or who exercise regularly and eat well and they still develop type 2 diabetes. So, um, you know, it's not all preventable. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, for anybody, we all have, I guess, ways we, we should be eating healthy and exercising and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a genetic components um, to type 2 as well.
1: When we come back after the break, I want to ask you about uh, diabetes care and access to diabetes care. Our guests today are Renee Fagan and uh, Terry and Colby Ryan. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com.
0: This is on target on your V O C M. This
1: is World Diabetes Day, and we're speaking with Renee Fagan, Terry, and Colby Ryan. And Renee is a registered nurse who has lived with type one diabetes most of her life. And uh, Renee, what? How important is diabetes care?
0: Uh, It's huge. So one of the things with when we think about diabetes, um, even from a young age, when you get diagnosed, the whole premise behind diabetes management is self-care. That's, that's the goal for anybody living with diabetes, that they're able to, you know, function and live with diabetes on their own. Um, but we can't do that without a team. We have a diabetes team. I still have my diabetes team um, that helps me you know, do all those things. Um, so without that access to care, without access to a team who are also there to support you, not just with, you know, functioning and, and showing you how to give an injection or use an insulin pump. They're also there to support you when you're having, you know, those days days when you feel like, oh, I, just, I just can't do diabetes today. And we all have those days. Um, but they're also there to remind you that, yes, you can do it. It's okay. We all have bad days. You just have a bad day. You get up and you go do it again, right? You, you get back on that horse and uh, keep going. So um, their support is crucial, um, you know, in getting you through those bad days, keeping up with all the technology, um, and trying to you know, get um, the best blood sugar control that you can.
1: And what is access to diabetes care like? Um, are there, is there room for
0: improvement? Absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously we know we have a shortage of physicians here in the province. And I mean, I live close to the St. John's area, but the, the wait time right now to see an endocrinologist Um, who specializes in diabetes is about two years so you know a couple of years ago my my endo uh, moved um, or actually she retired and i was on a wait list to see an endocrinologist well before she retired and it took me two years in order to see a new endocrinologist so a lot of insurances um, they require these forms to get dexcom and different things like this they require a signature from an endocrinologist but here in our province most of diabetes care is done by general practitioners. Um, And a lot of insurances won't accept those signatures to get this technology. Um, And, you know, it's it's just a long, long wait time, a long road. And, you know, for me, I've had diabetes for a long time. I feel comfortable managing my diabetes, and I feel confident. But I, you know, I, I worry about those who are newly diagnosed who are struggling. And, I mean, I talk to patients every day, in that situation, and sometimes they just need someone to talk to. Sometimes they need help with their care, um, but it's just there's not a lot of access here right now for that.
1: Terry, have you encountered any similar, you know, delays in, in getting access to the things you need?
2: Yes, uh, Colby is still run through the Jane Way program, um, and with the Jane Way pump program or with the diabetic program at the Jane Way, it is that you attend the clinic at, at the Jane Way or uh, during COVID, it was phone calls, of course. But right now, it's, it's every three months you attend the clinic at the Janeway. We attend those clinics with the intention of meeting with all of the team members. The team members consist of a nurse, a doctor, a dietitian, and sometimes you have the, a school liaison. So a, a representative from the Way who can speak to the school if you need them to or things like that. A lot of the times when we go to clinic, we are seeing one of those people, um, maybe not even a doctor, Sometimes you might only see the nurse. Sometimes you might even see the nutritionist. There's times when we go in there that that there's rooms full of patients waiting to see somebody. And, I mean, a lot of people drive in from out of St. John's. They spend uh, time off work to bring their children to these appointments, hoping that they're going to get to see their whole team, get the care their child needs. And we get there, and you might not see who you need to see at that time. And so, therefore, it causes you know a little bit of a, a you know a little bit of a I guess an aggravation that you know you, you go there with the intention of every three months you see you need to see to get the care you need and you're not getting that so it it might be another three months before they get to speak to somebody else there is access of course via phone if you need to if there's emergencies and things like that but I mean a lot of people this is what they wait for their three-month check to get everything they need done and I mean, like I said, there's times you go there and you don't get to see the people you need to see. So there is a, there is a gap there for sure. Uh,
1: it, certainly, that's got to be frustrating. So, do you know what's behind that? Is it part of what we're seeing in the healthcare system as a whole with uh, some of these shortages? Are you are you being told why why you're not getting to see the full team?
2: No, we're not being told. But I, I do believe that it is a lot of the gaps in the system in general right now and, and things like that. But I do find that there always has been a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a gap with the, with the diabetes here in newfoundland and i and i think it's i hate to say but i think that we are we're behind a little bit in this province from what i mean we've colby and i have met a lot of people across this country and outside of this country who live with type 1 diabetes and we compare the care sometimes we're not getting the best care here that we should be getting and the things that we need here in this province, and it has nothing to do with the people working here, because, I mean, they're fantastic. The diabetes team at the Janeway are unreal. They are amazing. What they take on, I would never imagine would be something I would ever want to take on. I mean, they take on all these children or adults, and and have to, I mean, they have to monitor their hair for them as well. So, I think we're lacking a little bit there in in our programming here for the diabetes program, and we're lacking here, especially for the the coverage and the technology. We're behind from a lot of places.
1: Renee, is that your experience? Are we a little bit behind despite the numbers?
0: Uh, Depends who you're comparing it to, I guess. Um, When you look at Canada and you see BC and Ontario, uh, Alberta, places like that who are offering, you know, Dexcom and uh, insulin pump um, to the entire population we are. Um, but earlier this year, in April, I, I ended up going to uh, Barcelona at the Advanced Technologies and Treatment for Diabetes. And when I was over there, I met physicians and um, healthcare care professionals from all over the world, mostly outside of Canada. And to hear that, and it was an eye-opener for me, because to hear that a lot of these places don't have access to insulin pumps or CGMs, places like Portugal, Portugal. Um, it was actually a real, it was a huge eye opener that as, as before that, I probably would have said, yes, we are very behind and we are in some aspects. But when you compare it to places like that, who patients are not able to go on insulin pumps at all, they have no choice uh, except to use needles, then it kind of, I think it helped put things in perspective for me.
1: Colby, it sounds like you've got a pretty supportive group of friends there who are very understanding and educated, obviously. Um, but do you find it easier to relate to other young people who are going through the same thing as you? Do you get opportunities to meet with other kids who are diabe- diabetic?
3: Yeah, when I was first diagnosed, I uh, I met with a lot of different people who were dealing with type 1. Uh, I don't see them as often anymore, but it's, it's definitely... I don't want to say better, but it's definitely easier to relate and, you know, sympathize, I guess.
1: And probably you don't have to explain as much. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that must be somewhat freeing as well, when you can just look at somebody and they know, you know, they know.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and what about being in the school system? Do you find that, you know, your teachers and, and the administrator and that sort of thing has to kind of know your situation as well?
3: Yeah, usually if my blood sugar goes low, I'll have to eat or drink something in class, and it's definitely better if they understand why I'm doing that. Um, Or, you know, if I'm high, I might have to leave class for a minute, but it's definitely better when they know.
1: For sure. Was that uh, difficult at all, um, Terry, keeping the school informed?
2: Um, We fortunately have been very blessed since, uh, Colby was diagnosed with every school that he's been in that have been super supportive. We uh, we reach out at the beginning of every year to the school, to the principal, explain, and then we ask to um, get uh, emails or phone numbers for all the teachers that will be involved with Colby's life and somehow let them know as well, let them know what to expect and, and things that might happen. And we do this, we've done this every year since he's been diagnosed and we I know for us it's been a great experience. I know that for a lot of families they haven't had that same experience, sadly, but uh, we, we've been lucky enough that we, we do. It's all about communication. That's a big thing. I mean, you have, to, you have to communicate. I mean, you have to tell people that there's a person sitting in their room that could at any point Pass out or you know become very ill you you have to communicate that to people and they have to make that aware that's that's the key thing that we've always done no matter where we go or what we do if Colby is not with somebody that is aware of his diagnosis we make sure that somebody is aware of this you know because it's important it's just very important for people to know
1: and generally speaking have the teachers been understanding Uh, you know I I would imagine some of them have a lot of questions as well but uh, has it been easy to have those conversations
2: yes it has been actually we we and we've had we've had teachers or schools request us to come in uh before the school start and you know just educate them show them some stuff teach them some things they've requested that they have uh we've had the community nurse go in and show them different things that can help uh so yes we have had great experience with that and you know the teachers are they're willing most of them are willing to take on whatever they have to take
1: on to help. We're completely out of time. I just looked up and saw the time. I'm normally better at this. I'm sorry. Um, This is World Diabetes Day. I want to thank you all for joining us on the show today. Uh, Renee Fagan, Terry, and Colby Ryan, thank you very much, all three of you, for telling us your stories and for making people more aware of diabetes on this World Diabetes Day. Thank you.
2: Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about a very interesting uh, program that's taking place uh, in Conception Bay North. I'll tell you a little bit more about that tomorrow. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening.